1: Come, dare to know, know what's going on, know who you are, know what you stand for. And now I would invite you to take your place on the field. Don't just stand there, you know, cheering from the sidelines or otherwise heckling from the sidelines. Come have some skin in the game and uh, and stand. I'm going to guess that uh, you would never even consider listening to a program like this if at some level you didn't believe that there's a role you need to play in all of this that's going on around us. And I want to tell you, I think you do have a role to play. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't answer for anybody else. But I really believe that we're living through some very pivotal, historic times right now. I don't think it's by accident that uh, there are some of us, I wish it was most of us, have an awareness of what's going on and a desire to stand up for, for truth. And for what's right and for what's worth defending. And when I say what's worth defending, I'm talking about things like freedom of conscience, personal liberty, private property rights, the the free market. The things that allow people to be free, to pursue happiness and to do it without coercion of one form or another breathing down their necks and otherwise forcing them in a direction they wouldn't choose to go on their own. And you know, look at politics today. Look at, and I'm, I'm talking Republican flavored as well as Democratic flavored. Statism is the rule. And it's clear that the masses, the vast majority of people, at some level subscribe to the idea well, if that's not under the control of the state, it's by definition out of control. And right now, what makes it really sporty is uh, you have the current administration in power in Washington, D.C., actively targeting anybody who isn't on board with them as a threat to what they call our democracy, by which they mean our authoritarianism, our totalitarianism. It's a threat because, uh, well, these people aren't on board with us. Which, you know, it would be one thing if it's a little noisy faction, a little beer hall putsch, you know. No, this is 70-plus million people all being tarred and feathered with that, these extreme MAGA or MAGA extremists, you know, uh, Republicans. And the federal government is very actively painting a target on anybody who is outspoken about freedom. Now, I'm not trying to be sensational because, frankly, I find that very disturbing on a number of levels. And I would guess that there are some people who kind of can see what's going on. And there's others who are like, oh, those scary extremists. Yes, please protect us. Don't let them do anything to our democracy, you know, like you're doing to our democracy. My point is simply this. It's not time to give up hope. <laughs> it's not time to, you know, wave the white flag of surrender. But you can kind of feel we, we've hit a, a tipping point of some sort of we're turning the corner. And I don't think it gets easier from this point forward. And I, I don't say that with any sense of chest thumping ah, bravado, bring it on, you know. I think that uh, we're, we're about to be put to the test and not everybody is going to have the, the courage of character or the, the conviction of what they believe to stand firm in the face of people who will paint you as a terrorist threat, meaning can be eliminated without any kind of judicial proceedings, you know, we'll send a drone if we have to, kind of mentality. I know, that's that's pretty evil. And what's what's our crime? Oh, that's right, we love freedom. We want to be left alone to pursue our lives as best we can. And by rejecting the blessings of this ruling class... Well, apparently, we have really hurt their feelings, and uh, now they, they want to, you know, crack the whip and show us, well, we'll show you who's boss. I don't know. Don't be disheartened, even though it seems hopeless, and and, and I'm, I'm going to wax just a little spiritual for a moment here. Um, probably the biggest single shift that I've had in my thinking in the last eight years took place uh, at Bundy Ranch back in 2014. And, and I don't say this to, to stir controversy. I just say this, this is something that I came to realize that day. And that is the Lord is the author of Liberty. I mean, it talks about it in the Bible. It talks about where the spirit of the Lord is. There is Liberty proclaim Liberty throughout the land, you know, and we, we can appreciate that this is a wonderful gift, but I'm not just saying, yeah, it's a, it's a cool gift that he gave us. So here you go. Be careful with that. Don't hurt yourselves. I mean, he loves liberty. And what I learned at, uh, at Bundy Ranch that day was you can call upon the Lord to protect you, but you've got to be humble enough to call upon him. And I mean, mean it. So I guess all I'm saying is don't count ourselves down and out. Don't, don't be so willing to feel overwhelmed when, when you can, if you're a believer, you can understand the creator of the universe is really on your side. But if you, if you want to be on his side, you got to humble yourself. You got to turn toward Him, and that's that's a choice each one of us gets to make. Okay, end of sermon. Let's dive in and see where we're going to go today. I've got a couple of different things that I thought would would uh, get the blood pumping for you. Here's a good one. Why not just abolish the IRS? This is an essay from Jacob Hornberger from the Future of Freedom Foundation. And look. I know people may think, oh, come on, Brian, this is low-hanging fruit. Picking on the IRS and those hard-working, you know, employees are out there trying to deal with all the tax returns every year. And look, I'm not trying to pick on anybody individually. But tell me, in all honesty, do you know anyone who opens their mailbox and sees, oh, a notice from the IRS and is like, all right. Like, you know, Publishers Clearinghouse just, <laughs> just dropped by and dropped off a million-dollar check. No. Most people, when they see IRS on that envelope, what's their reaction? Right? You can see their faces just kind of, (laughs) oh. And and then they're going to open that that piece of mail up very quickly because they kind of want to, let's, all right, let's get, let's cut to the chase. What's the bad news? Oh, it's just an audit, an intensive audit. I just wonder if this is going to become the norm. You know, I mean, nobody likes it. So having said that, it's very curious why more people aren't clamoring to eliminate the IRS, which I'm sure would be counted as uh, more of that pro-freedom, anti-government talk there. But listen to what Jacob Hornberger says here. While some conservatives are criticizing President Biden for hiring 87,000 new, well-armed IRS agents under the guise of fighting inflation, he says, I've got a better idea. Let's just abolish the IRS and at the same time end the federal income tax. Now, he says, this idea is not as radical as it sounds, and it certainly wouldn't have sounded radical to Americans who lived in the United States from 1776 to 1913. For virtually that entire period of time, Americans lived without federal income taxation and an IRS. That's right. For more than a century, Americans were free to keep everything they earned, and there was nothing the federal government could do about it. No deductions to keep track of, no income tax returns to file, no withholding, No IRS to audit, terrorize, and send Americans to jail. That's what it once meant to be an American. That's what it once meant to be free. That's the freedom that Americans celebrated every 4th of July. Now, Jacob Hornberger says, Our American ancestors understood that when people are free to keep the fruits of their earnings, they are the masters and government officials are the servants. They also understood that once any government gains the power to seize people's income, The citizens become the servants, and government officials become the masters. Of course, our American ancestors also rejected the things that the income tax funds, principally welfare state programs, regulatory programs, and warfare state programs. For more than a 100 years, there was no welfare state. There was no Social Security, no Medicare, Medicaid, education grants, food stamps, public housing, public schooling, and other socialist programs. Our American ancestors wanted nothing to do with socialism. Oh, and there was also no national security state, no Pentagon, no vast military industrial complex, defense industry, CIA, NSA, or FBI. Our American ancestors fiercely opposed standing armies. That's why instead they brought into existence a limited government republic. No foreign wars and foreign intervention... No coups, invasions, occupations, wars of aggression, foreign military bases, assassinations, torture, sanctions, embargoes, and trade wars. Hardly any federal regulation of economic activity. No minimum wage, no drug war, no immigration controls. No fiat, meaning paper money. No federal reserve pursuant to the Constitution. Gold and silver were the money of the American people, the official money. But everything changed in the 20th century. Americans living in that era rejected the founding principles enumerated above and embraced the welfare state, warfare state way of life. And ever since, America has been mired in perpetual crisis, not to mention massive death and the destruction of liberty and privacy. Everywhere you look, there is a crisis. Fiscal, monetary, education, drug war, foreign policy, immigration, and others. And so he says, what better time than now? to begin a national examination of where we started as a country and how we have ended up where we are today. What better time to reflect on and ponder the consequences of having abandoned, abandoned rather, the sound founding principles of our country. That's the way to get our nation back on track toward life, liberty, prosperity, peace, and harmony with the people of the world. Got a link to this in the show notes. Check it out at the Brian Hyde show.com.
0: This Is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. This is
1: where I like to thank my sponsors, including Garage Door Pros. This is a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, and Colorado City, Arizona. And this is where you want to go if you need installation, service, or repair of garage doors. Now, whether it's commercial or residential settings doesn't matter; they'll take care of you. Their doors are made in America. They offer quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. And all you have to do is either go online to GarageDoorProServices.com or call them at four three five five two five twenty seven seventy three. I might mention that you're, uh, you know, you appreciate that they help sponsor this show. Well, there's a lot of anticipation about uh, a red wave coming with the November midterm elections. I've got a great article here from Robert Vinson that says, watch out. And I think this is actually a well-founded warning. He says, the regime is going to be very desperate because they're not just facing the loss of political power. They are facing the possibility of real accountability, many of them for the first time in their uh, corrupt, miserable careers. Let's dive in here. Robert Vincent says, In about two months as of this writing, the vast majority of rank-and-file Americans eagerly anticipate having the opportunity to finally start the process of riding the path of our dangerously out-of-control ship of state. Conservative commentators and some Republican political leaders other than rhinos, talk endlessly of a huge red wave that, in the words of one observer, will destroy the Democratic Party as a national institution. Polling data, conventional wisdom, and the horrendous performance of the Biden regime, along with their lackeys in Congress, all point to such an outcome. But he says, is that what's really in store for America? Now, to begin with, looking at the many irregularities that have been seen even in the recent primary season, it should now be clear that we have a long way to go until we can realistically expect genuinely free and fair elections. While substantial progress has been made in many parts of the country many others are still plagued with crooked secretaries of state and highly dubious electronic voting systems. So if the midterms do in fact take place, you notice he says, if, (laughs) whoa, while Republicans might very well take back both houses of Congress, given what fraud will still likely occur, our margin of victory will probably be underwhelming. In the current circumstances, he says, I submit that it would be downright foolish to expect much more than that. Now he says, note in the paragraph above, if the midterms do in fact take place. And he says that's something we need to be prepared for. That's the distinct possibility that they will not take place. What will it mean if even a bare-majority Republican Congress is seated in January of 2023? First, it means that there will be a much larger contingent of MAGA Republicans in the mold of Matt Goetz and Marjorie Taylor Greene. There will be at least a dozen, perhaps even dozens, and this will be a powerful political force. It will mean a new Speaker of the House and a new Senate Majority Leader and also quite possibly MAGA who will set an entirely new legislative agenda. It will almost certainly mean immediate impeachment hearings for Biden as well as other officials such as Attorney General Garland. And it will mean additional hearings and investigations into all manner of corruption on the part of the regime. I mean, come on, what really happened on January 6, 2021? The IRA could very well be repealed. Yes, the, uh, that's the Inflation Reduction Act. And even if it isn't to, due to a presidential veto, any remaining aspect of Biden's agenda not signed into law by January will be consigned to the trash heap. I think that's a fair assessment. Now, he says, most dangerously for the regime, if they have not found a way to stop Trump from running in 24... By the time a new Republican Congress is seated four months from now, their chances of stopping him are all but non-existent, short of assassination. And even if they do stop him, the MAGA movement he started will only grow stronger. A President DeSantis taking office in January of 25 would be every bit as dangerous to the regime as a President Trump, perhaps even more so. In short, the regime simply cannot afford to lose Congress. Now, this is a matter of existential importance to them. Many of their top leaders will face not only the loss of political power, but quite likely even long prison sentences or worse if they're ultimately held accountable. So if their internal polling is telling them in the coming weeks they cannot fraud their way out of losing Congress, that voter sentiment against them is simply too strong to overcome, with what fraud apparatus they have left, what might they do to avoid to avoid defeat? Okay, now just as an aside... I get. Some people are like, okay, that's getting out there in the weeds a little bit. You know, that sounds kind of conspiratorial. I think those are actually excellent questions, though, to be asking. Look at everything that the people in power right now have been willing to do. Look at how they're willing to change the very definition of reality on a day-to-day basis according to what they need to, to keep up their narrative. They are desperate, and they are terrified of losing power, which to me means, okay, they're dangerous, they're like a cornered, rabid, you know, vermin. <laughs> they, but they will, they will thrash around and lash out, and that could be very, very dangerous. So I'd be very careful for another big crisis to hit, justifying unprecedented crackdowns and, you know, centralization of power, simply because otherwise those elections are going to strip them of power. Now, the article goes on to say the extent to which the Biden crime family, along with many other Democratic leaders and Rhino Republicans, is compromised by the Chinese Communist Party is well known. Many reports have been emanating from the Far East that the People's Republic of China is making serious preparations for war. Additionally, October is traditionally the most favorable month in terms of seasonal weather conditions in the waters surrounding Taiwan, such as would be necessary to carry out an invasion of the island. What's more, unlike what had been the case in Ukraine, where the U.S. had no treaty obligations, the U.S. has made very specific commitments to Taiwan. The island is a genuinely vital strategic interest for the U.S. So the People's Republic of China knows if it attacks Taiwan, it will also be confronting the U.S., So it only logically follows that a PRC attack on Taiwan will be accompanied by a simultaneous attack on the U.S. in some form in order to frustrate our abilities to intervene on Taiwan's behalf. Now, a PRC attack on the U.S. in conjunction with an invasion of Taiwan might not be by traditional military means like missile attacks. It could very well involve cyber warfare attacks on our infrastructure, our power grid, our communications. If such a crisis were to erupt just before the elections there would be very little time to recover from these disruptions, such that this emergency could easily serve as a pretext to postpone the elections indefinitely, or even dissolve Congress and establish full-on rule by decree on the part of the regime. He says it wouldn't surprise this writer at all if the regime actively coordinated this crisis with the People's Republic of China. So, hopefully... If this dark scenario unfolds as described above, what patriotic elements remain of our national security establishment will act to stop these traitors and finally establish the rule of law and our constitutional republic. If not, we may well be on the precipice of losing our country for decades to come as the world enters a communist Chinese-led Dark Ages 2.0. Now, he does say, all of us must pray for deliverance at the earliest possible moment from these criminal usurpers. Now, this again, this is Robert Vincent... Writing for americanthinker dot com. Now keep in mind this is this is a worst case scenario. So I don't share this with you with the idea of, well, are you good and scared now? Huh? <laughs> this is a great campfire story. This is just one of the possibilities that we need to be flexible enough to address. And if I can be so bold as to suggest this, you know, I, I don't know anything. I don't have any credentials. i'm I'm nobody, but I do sincerely care about freedom and I really sincerely care about encouraging people to think and reason for themselves. And that's my advice. Put your focus on you and yours. What are you doing right now to improve yourself in some way? Learn a skill, eat better, you know, get in better shape. By the way, I'm pointing at myself because that's something I really need to be working on as well. What are we doing to build familiar relationships? How about relationships with your neighbors, within your community? This is the stuff we need to be focusing on right now, but especially taking care of yourself and taking care of the people that are closest to you. And this can take any number of forms. I mean, it's not just, you know, hunker down, make sure you got all your bullets and Band-Aids and beans and what have you. I'm talking about things like, are we paying off our debt? Have we figured out, you know, how to raise food in the winter? Got a greenhouse? Keeping some chickens or something like that? What other stores of value am I using besides the banking system? You get the idea. Focus on you and yours first, though.
0: It will bring peace. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to mention my other
1: sponsors who make this program possible on a daily basis. They include MonticelloCollege.org, college.org, lifesavingfood.com and hslamo.com. Now, if you go to my website, the you can just click on my show notes. You'll find a convenience section for my sponsors. Actually, you will find links to my sponsors in the sh- in the uh, website itself including a nice little logo that will show you who they are. You can click on their website and go visit them for yourselves. If you choose to do this or if you refer somebody to them, please do me this favor and just let those businesses know that you are reaching out to them because you heard about it here on this program. Let them know that their advertising message is reaching your ears. And I thank you in advance. Well, so much of the lockdown enforcement that we underwent over the last couple of years was as cruel as it was unnecessary. Got a great article from Julie Poness. this is from uh, the Brownstone Institute, wondering why did COVID enforcement target religion specifically? I think this is on a lot of our minds, especially in in early 2020. But listen to what she has to say. Julie Poness writes, religious leaders like Archer Palowski, who questioned the COVID-19 health restrictions, are a threat to public safety, or so the criticism goes. After giving a sermon in February of 2022 in Coutts, Alberta, in which he urged trucker convoy protesters to hold the line in their efforts to safeguard freedoms, Pastor Pawlowski was arrested, denied bail, and imprisoned for 40 days until the decision was unanimously overturned by the Alberta Court of Appeal in July. Now, according to the 2021 World Watch List, compiled by by the advocacy group Open Doors, There were two important persecution trends in 2020. The number of Christians killed increased by 60%, and governments used COVID-19 restrictions as an excuse for religious persecution. Facial recognition systems, for example, were installed in state-approved churches in China, allowing churchgoers to be tracked and punished. And India's nationalist Janata Party encouraged the persecution of Christians by sanctioning Hindu extremism. In Canada a country that used to be a safe haven for the persecuted. Pastors are being ticketed and imprisoned for holding religious services and religion itself is slandered in the COVID narrative associated with poor research, misinformation, and right-wing politics. Now she says our treatment of religious persons seems to be non-fictionalizing Orwell's totalitarian state, Oceania, in which atheism is compulsory and religious belief is a crime, one of the crimes to which the hero of 1984, Winston Smith, confesses in Orwell's superstate, atheism is not only essential to the party's absolute power, but it is compelling because according to Orwellian's dystopian fantasy, human life is meaningless because individuals will always die. But by joining the party, they become part of something more enduring than themselves. Totalitarianism, she says, I use that word intentionally, offers a way to rescue themselves from the threat of absolute non-existence. Now, in any totalitarian state, including the one we're inching towards, citizens are divided and polarized. There are the believers and non-believers, the outliers, the chosen ones, and the sinners. The followers believe above all else in the ability of the state to achieve a kind of utopia. They follow the state's commands not because of their evidentiary reasonableness, but because their commitment to the project requires unquestioning allegiance. The sinners are heretics who stand in the way of safety and purity. What appeal have reason and freedom and autonomy when stacked against effortless and guaranteed immortality? She says today many people are turning away from personal religion toward state-led science, which is presented as being more sophisticated and more aligned with truth. But totalitarianism is not an alternative to religion. It is secularized religion. As Holocaust survivor Hannah Arendt wrote, and its appeal is spreading across across the the globe at a head-spinning rate. Totalitarianism replaces personal religion with the idea that we can find meaning, not in God, but in ourselves, in a group of human beings. The state takes the place of God, wrote Carl Jung. The socialist dictatorships are religions, and state slavery is a form of worship. The slogan of Oceania's party, freedom is slavery, could easily be the slogan of Canada's ruling party today. And dare I mention the sign above the gate at Auschwitz? Arbeit macht frei, work makes one free. In the totalitarian state, she says, the methods of religious enthusiasm and evangelism are deployed to convince the masses that the dream of a perfectly pure progressive state, a heaven on earth, justifies any limitation of personal freedom. And so the punishment of dissidents via mandates, surveillance, imprisonment, and possibly even extermination of individuals or groups is considered acceptable or even noble. To ensure continued allegiance to a totalitarian regime, citizens are kept in a continual fear cycle, worn down by the ever-present threat of loss of income, education, food, gas, housing and mobility, and the fear of being and dying alone. These fears are solidified by visible propaganda, hospitalization and death count graphs, masking signs at the entrances of businesses, social media vaccine stickers and other virtual badges of honor, and the continual recital of mantras like, we're all in this together, and everything we do is to protect your health and safety. Pretty good stuff, huh, so far? Julie Poness goes on to say, the advice of our leaders is presented as the only way to remain safe. But let's not forget that blind allegiance to those who abuse us is a survival strategy for the abused. It's not a rational life plan. The harsh lesson of Stockholm Syndrome is that abusers can become saviors in the eyes of the abused. They become a safe haven, a way out, the only perceivable way out. She says religious persons today are a threat, but not to public safety, as the narrative instructs us. They are a threat to the idea that the state is to be worshipped above all else to the religion that's trying to take their place, to the idea that it's possible to find a compelling and complete sense of meaning outside of the state. They're persecuted not for what they believe, but for what they don't believe. As Archer Palowski's son Nathaniel said about the police who were waiting outside their home to arrest his father, this has nothing to do with law. He embarrassed them on a global scale. He's exposed their corruption. People are waking up. He has a powerful voice. They're scared of that voice. So they want to keep him in prison as punishment. So should we care about the persecution of Christians if we aren't religious ourselves? When self-professed atheist blogger Tim Urban was interviewed by Barry Weiss on something about which he changed his mind in 2021, he said, I've spent most of my life thinking the more atheists, the better. Looking back, this now feels like a be careful what you wish for hope. It's easy for non-religious people to look down on religion, but we take for granted the extent to which a good society is good because of the moral structure it provides. End quote. Now, protecting religious leaders like Arthur Pawlowski is not just about protecting religion per se. It's about protecting the foundations of a free society in which individuals can find their own sources of meaning apart from the state. Freedom of religion and conscience and thought and belief bears a core relationship to the ways we envision and create life in all of its essential dimensions. Family, education, spirituality, relationships, and the dignity and independence of persons from their role as citizens. We are persons first and citizens second. We can make ourselves fit for citizenship, but we shouldn't allow the demands of citizenship to dictate who we are as persons. I really like that distinction, by the way. She says, religion is a core charter right. This is according to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Section 2A. But the Canada, she says, we're creating is one in which religious persons must make an irreconcilable moral choice. Be a good citizen and betray yourself or be true to yourself and face the political consequences. And so she says, I leave you with these words, which are solidly Canadian, possibly inspirational and worth quoting at length. The history of this country is one in which we are constantly challenging ourselves and each other to extend our personal definitions of who is a Canadian. This is a good and important thing. It is good for us, good for our country, and important to the world. We understand that people are defined by both the things that unite and distinguish us from one another. Languages, cultures, faith, even importantly gender and sexual orientation. However, we also know that all of these contribute to a person's identity but don't define it. These things all find their highest, most concrete expression in the individual human beings who embody them. This, too, is a good thing. It gives people room to live and breathe. Like that last line, it gives people room to live and breathe. By the way, she says, these are not my own words. These are the words of... Her Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, whose 2015 self seems irreconcilable with the person who said just a few months ago that the burning of churches is understandable and that evangelical Christians are the worst part of society. Julie Poness says religious Canadians are losing this room to live and breathe. In fact, they're being suffocated. So the question is how will we respond? Will we act as free persons or as unknowing slaves? And what is the true cost of our conversion? to state worship. I got to say, that's a pretty powerful essay. Now, I've got it linked in my show notes at thebryanhideshow.com. Maybe this is one you want to take some time to study for yourself. Maybe share it with friends or family or other like-minded people who you think could benefit from it. And I agree, Canada really cracked down hard. I mean, they went totalitarian. But did you see how close we inched towards it right here in America? I still see the images of the police arresting people standing in a church parking lot in Idaho singing hymns.
0: Yeah, they were arresting them because COVID. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: If you haven't subscribed to my show notes, can I just make this offer? It's absolutely free. You'll get exactly your money's worth. No, but if if you want to follow up on some of the different articles or follow up on some of the commentators and and different guests that I have on the show, this is where you'll find all of the information you need to, to really dig in and do your own study. And that's really what it's all about, right? We're just trying, it's not like we're trying to, we're going to solve all the world's problems with everything talked about on this show. But I, I want you to know, I spend every spare minute of my time trying to find things that are hopefully useful, that will uh, strengthen your backbone and give you reason to, to continue to stand firm, even when it seems kind of hopeless at times. So I don't always get it right, but I also very much appreciate when, uh, when you, as a listener, share things with me. So, again, if you want to reach out to me, you can do that through my website, com. But uh, at the risk of sounding trite, we are in this together. That is, we are on the same team. If you are on Team Liberty. And I'm trying to provide as many resources as I can for the uh, wrong thinkers out there and the people who are willing to resist groupthink. Got a couple of articles in this uh, in this segment that I wanted to touch on. I'm not going to spend much time talking about this, but... I found it really interesting that uh, libraries are kind of becoming the ground zero for the sexual counterculture to find mainstream acceptance. And where I live in Idaho, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm hearing lots of concerns about, Oh, these parents want to ban books. They're book banners. They're, they're book burners is what they are. But there's this influx of um, LGBTQ-themed books that are finding their ways into the libraries. And I'm not just talking about, oh, well, it's a story with a gay character. I mean, no, gay is the story, like sometimes fully illustrated, like graphically depicting sex between kids and, and experimentation and stuff. And this is just, well, we're just trying to reach out to these marginalized, you know, populations and stuff. But it really, it's, it's got this creepy feel. There, there's, there's a grooming quality. We just want to make these things available for those who want them. And then there's the the concept of Drag Queen Story Hour, which, again, libraries are kind of the focal point. And there's a a tremendous article in The Federalist that uh, shows a series of emails that were obtained showing local librarians recruiting drag performers for kids. Joy Pullman is the author. It is an extensive article. This is not going to be one you just quickly browse and three minutes later, well, okay, that was good. I got that all figured out. But through public public records requests, the Federalist obtained show the Federalist obtained that uh, um, these emails that show librarians looking to host gender bending performances and talking about marketing them to children, particularly in Republican leaning suburbs. So, what do you think of that, man? Libraries are becoming kind of a, a place of activism. And look, I'm I'm very clear on this. I I can't imagine why these events are being targeted to children in the first place. You know, people who are saying, well, why uh, why on earth, you know, would you want to, you know, ban, you know, these drag events for, for families, drag events for children? Maybe the better question is why do these performers need children in the audience? And it's, and it's just getting more and more in your face. I mean, it's like, it's like the... I don't want to use the word freak show, but really I can't think of a better better term. It's it's getting more and more outside the confines of the circus tent. It's like it wants to spread itself into society generally. And it's really disturbing. I mean, for crying out loud, in Texas you had armed Antifa showing up to protect the perverts as they were dancing for the children. And I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I'm not saying people need to be violent, but uh, people definitely need to to have the courage to say, that's screwed up. Leave the kids alone. guess there's a big event coming up in Provo, Utah, featuring former and current BYU students, big drag extravaganza, and it's being billed as family-friendly. You know, I don't think the idea is, well, what we need to do is go there and confront these people and, you know, tell them how wrong they are. You know what I would recommend instead? In fact, this is what I'm going to do. It's this coming Saturday that this big drag event's taking place down in Provo. I'm going to plan a family activity of my own. Now, I haven't decided if it's going to involve uh, fishing poles or if it's going to involve a trip to the shooting range. Heck, fishing and shooting are both close enough. Maybe we'll do both. But that's, that's the kind of family fun that uh, me and my kids are going to be involved in. We're going to spend time together. We're going to have a great time. We're going to learn some useful skills. And uh, you know what? Not a single bit of it's going to be based in uh, some kind of uh, weird kink that uh, we're all getting freaky over. So there is that. All I'm saying is you have alternatives. If you're going to sow some seeds, that's the place to do it. Teach your kids right from wrong. Spend time with them. Teach them useful skills. And just don't, don't give the attention seekers the audience that they're desperately, desperately trying to, uh, to generate. All right, I spent way more time on that than I wanted to. Okay, Alan Stevo, this is a guy who I strongly recommend if you're trying to if you're trying to get your feet under you and find the courage to really stand up and play your part in whatever it may be that uh, you're called upon to do. Alan's got some great advice, and he has, he starts with a letter that someone had sent him. This letter said, "Hey." I went to the grocery store, Steve-O, I looked around, it's so depressing. These morons still wearing masks? The CDC has literally said this is all nonsense and these idiots are still wearing masks. Now, Alan Stevo goes, look, this is from one of the bravest, most heroic freedom fighters I know. If one man will be left standing fighting the great lie on his own, he goes, this is the guy who I'm sure will keep standing. But he says, should that depress you that even he's whining about the reality of the situation? Alan Stevo says, I hope not what it says is that we all need someone to turn to from time to time and and from here he goes into an analogy that i've heard him use before but i really like this because i find it really encouraging and i think this may be something useful maybe you and i can both put this to use he talks about different groups of people and there there are different uh, groups that he talks about like hyenas in all periods of history he says you have folks looking to take advantage of others these are the hyenas they're a small group, they have significant panache and influence, but they ultimately do not determine the trajectory of history. They are, li- they are hyena-like in their approach. We're talking the Klaus Schwab's, the Tony Fauci's, the Bill Gates, the Joe Biden's. These are hyena archetypes, giving them too much attention, promises to leave you discouraged and distracted. Now, the second group, the hard-to-ignore group of people, is the sheep. They are sheep-like, and they make up the overwhelming majority of society in all periods of history. And Alan Stevo says, if you think otherwise, you're missing that important reality. If you believe salvation is to be found in the masses, that is historically disproven. The majority are not going to ride to the rescue. The majority will often be filled with individuals doing the exact wrong thing, but simply doing his best to follow the most leadership-like person around him. The person masked at the grocery store, your triple-vaxxed sister-in-law who's had her third stroke since April, your triple-masked neighbor, your boss who puts the mask below his nose when expecting an important visit, the police officer or the doctor or the bureaucrat just doing his job, these are sheep-like people. And giving them too much attention leaves you discouraged and distracted. But there's a third group of people, and these are the ones he says that you ignore at your own peril. These are the lions. Now, a lion can be asleep or awake. A lion, once awake, naturally exudes freedom in the world around himself. He doesn't need to be led. He doesn't need to be told what to do. He just needs to be roused from his sleep. Naturally, as he goes about his day, the world around him becomes more free. That's the only group of individuals who deserve anyone's attention. Sheep and hyenas get in line when the lion wakes up. So in this psychological battle that we're in the midst of, it's so important for the enemy to keep your attention on the sheep and on the hyenas because keeping your attention there will distract and discourage you. But the lions are the only ones who deserve your attention. So, doesn't that sound like decent advice? If you're paying too much attention to the hyenas, yeah, you're going to be depressed. If you look at the sheep, you're going to be like, oh, man, how can this be? But if you are associating with the lions and you recognize that life is always going to be a challenge, they're still the people that you want to be with. How do you meet more lions? Well, here's what uh, Alan Stevo suggests. He says, keep living your lion life Pay attention to the other lions around you, but number one, do not let a good person out of your sight without exchanging phone numbers. If you meet somebody who's like-minded, talk to them. Number two, text them right away after the meeting. Number three, invite them for coffee or a conversation or a meeting in the park every other Saturday for the rest of your life. Number four, keep doing that with every lion you meet and it will start with three lions and it will be 30 lions, then it will become 300 lions. But his point is, once you have those three lions around you, it will become hard not to focus on them. It'll become hard to pay attention to much of what the goofy sheep or the inept hyenas are up to. That's because you and your lion buddies are, are meeting together, and really, you're the ones who matter. Get those lions together, he says, and amazing things will take place. Less sheep focus, less hyena focus, more lion focus, and you'll have community and freedom even in the most unfree of places. And in this era, that's even easier and clearer to achieve than in any era man has ever lived. I don't know why, but I found that encouraging. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. I've got a link in my show notes at thebryanhideshow.com.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.